Hey, it's Fitz, and if you don't know who I am, here's a quick bio. Veteran sports journalist who writes, does TV, radio, and is a longtime podcaster. Also, I have stage 4 prostate cancer, so my doctors advise me to stay home during these COVID-19 concerns. So what am I doing with my time? I'm calling some of the many friends, athletes, coaches, and colleagues who have been part of my life during more than 30 years in journalism. Oh, and I'm hitting the record button. Welcome to my life and the Life of Fitz podcast. Ryan Abraham has long been a publisher in our school-specific website industry that the rest of us look to for insights and leadership. In covering USC sports with his uscfootball.com site, Abraham has always offered a truly multimedia experience in one of the nation's largest media markets. And the quality and quantity of his work helped Abraham's site stand out, even in the Los Angeles marketplace. From being one of the first to enter the podcast realm in our industry to offering live video programming for his subscribers and fans, Ryan is always one step ahead of the rest of us. And on top of that, Ryan Abraham is a great guy who cuts his own path in a crowded media market. An early publisher on the Rivals.com network, Abraham stunned his fellow publishers by jumping to Scout.com. And when Scout folded, Abraham's site was one of those purchased by the 24-7 Sports Network around the same time that GoPowerCat moved from Rivals to 24-7. And through all of that reinvention, Abraham's site kept growing proving once again that hard work and talent always end up winning the day. Now let's call my guy, Ryan Abraham in Hermosa Beach, California. Man, life must be really tough for him. Hello. Are you lounging on a beach again? I am not. I am uh, actually at my kitchen table working on a puzzle (laughs) wow well ryan you lead that fast life in la i see yeah i I just uh i got back from uh doing a podcast and then i was just gonna grab some lunch before i talked with you and i was i just have this puzzle here so usually i try to like do a couple pieces as i go man you are you you live that fast life out there. It's that's yeah. impressive. But to clarify, when I asked you yesterday to be my guest on this podcast, and by the way, you were already on the podcast. This is literally the podcast. Um, oh. you were uh, recovering from a round of beach volleyball, drinking a beer on the beach. Which beach was it? Uh, Hermosa Beach. Of course, that's where yeah. you live, right? That's uh, where I live. Yeah, uh, yeah. It was. Uh, it might have. Been, I might have had. Three or four or five of the said beers on the <laughs> but a uh, little volleyball, and it was fun, you know, get out there. Yeah, and I replied, oddly, I'm not on an ocean beach in Kansas. It's strange. Is there not, where, where's the closest ocean to you in Kansas? Is there one close Probably, by? Probably, yeah, or? well, no, not close by. The Gulf would be the closest, and that's a trash beach there down in Galveston area. That's not, not great. So, I mean, if you want to consider um, a beach with trash on the beach literally i don't know it's, it's i mean i'm kind of a clear ocean guy so it uh it's really for me it's california or nothing in the lower 48 i mean if there's some good florida ones too right Aren't yeah there? there's all right but i'm telling you the pacific beaches the ocean's just a different color and 
Yeah. But yeah, you know, you get out in Key West, get out in a little bit more open water. It's it's a little bit better. But yeah, yeah. clearly, uh, you know, this was a big I was born in Florida. My family, we lived down there for a while, a whole six months of my life. Um, but we've gone back and forth. The family always spends time down there. The old Atlantic Gulf. It's like two gangs of old people. Do you do the Atlantic side or the Gulf side? And and they they are really adamant about their side being better. Oh, mm-hmm. I didn't realize that. I would probably be more a Gulf side person because I'm not a morning person, so I'd never see the sun coming up on the Atlantic <laughs> side. I'd have to be You're a, more of a sunset guy. Yeah, I'm more of a, a sunset sunrise guy. guy. Yeah, I, I, I mean, being on the West Coast, I think I would say I'm the same. I'm like a yeah. A sunset guy. I mean, it's nice if you're a place where you can see the sunrise. But So how is covering USC in this current environment of COVID and all the shutdowns? You have had still a lot of news, haven't you? There's been quite a bit. I mean, I think because USC has kind of dug themselves into a <laughs> hole the last couple of years. I mean, they weren't recruiting well. They weren't. I mean, there were just a lot of stuff they were doing that you should do better because you're USC. Um, they hired a bunch of better assistant coaches that can actually go out and recruit. So during this shutdown, they've been picking up a whole bunch of commitments, and I think they have the number four class in the country. So that's been something to cover, you know, when there's just not as much. And they also had incompetent athletic directors for the last 10 years, and they replaced uh, them. So they have a new uh, athletic department, and they're actually doing things that were just like simple stuff that you should like, oh, USC's never played an FCS school before. So what does the last administration do? They schedule one. You know, why, why, you know, just do that. Well, this new administration came in and they canceled it. So that's like something that's good. Um, you know, the Reggie Bush disassociation with the NCAA, that's happened uh, just in the last week or so. So things like that, I think they're just been this low-hanging fruit of all the mistakes of the past have been fixed during the quarantine. So it's probably helped us out a little bit that they've just all these problems, uh, you know, that, that really were simple that anyone – with any competency could have fixed the USC's <laughs> brass couldn't do it. So now they at least have people trying to fix these things. And those are at least little stories uh, bits that we can cover right now. Yeah. I mean, that's those bits and pieces have been gold. As we go through this, you, you have something pop up and you know, the Kansas state players showed up and they did their testing and everyone was negative. And so, you know, that's either way, negative or positive. It's good news. And <clears throat> nobody had the COVID. The dreaded COVID. Has, does USC do any testing yet? So they haven't uh, announced even the plan to return to wow. campus yet. Today, you know, the 15th, June 15th, was the first day the Pac-12 was allowing that. Um, so there's other programs that are starting in the Pac-12, I think like Oregon. And I believe I forget, I forget all of them, but I think Arizona State was coming back. Um, so a lot of it depends on the local governments. Like, a, 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 you know, Arizona is much more open everyone's coming back their bars are open things like that um where california it's a little bit different and i think cal stanford usc and ucla have all not uh got back to campus yet but uh, i think i think they're all working with the local governments to try to make that happen um but i I would expect something this week but yeah so since they're not back yet there hasn't been any kind of official testing um they will be testing the pac-12 said they'll be testing every week for uh covid and also the antibodies so we should get some information on that once everyone starts coming back. But so far, that hasn't happened. How does the SEC think it's possible not to test? I mean, they, they've said they're not going to test. I'm like, no, you, you've got to test. And nope, I wouldn't want to play you if you hadn't tested every every week so you knew what was going on. 
Yeah, that's bizarre to me too. Um, I know. I think it was Alabama had five players came back right. positive when when they got there. And for if you're coming back early enough, I mean, it's almost like back in the day. You know, when your mom, you know, the moms in the neighborhood would get together and have all the kids play at Jimmy's house who had the chicken pox, so everyone get the chicken pox. You know, like would you rather have some young, you know, athlete get it and you know not be you know god forbid nothing happened you know be healthy but then they already have it they have the antibodies and you don't have to worry about it at all during the season i could see something like that happening too yeah. but who knows but yeah I, the testing stuff is just like well, i'm not sure why you wouldn't want to do that what's distressing about it is while most young athletes will be completely unaffected by it about one on a roster if your whole roster got it would have some lung issues and maybe some damage that would affect their career that's I don't know how schools are going to get around lawsuits eventually. Eventually, when, you know, people will sue over every, anything, even if you sign a waiver or whatever. I just think uh, athletic departments and universities are going to be in peril because that's what we do now, Ryan. We just sue each other. I'm going to sue you for having better weather. <laughs> it's, a, it's an unfair advantage. It's an, it's an unfair it advantage. You're in a big market and I'm in Manhattan, Kansas. I'm going to sue you. You could move, you know, you could if you want. Like, <laughs> I'm a, I'm like a trained monkey. This is all I know. Like, <laughs> what else am I going to do, man? What, what it's also a lot more expensive. Yeah. Uh, I can't have like a lavish office with like eight people in it, you know, like, you know, like you have like right next to the football stadium or whatever. Like we can't do things <laughs> yeah, like that here. Football stadium. Although, you know, what's interesting is I've always maintained that we needed to have an office for that kind of locker room. You know, so that you're all on the same team, that kind of thing. But because of the nature of your market and the simple fact that it's wildly expensive to maintain an office, but uh, by nature, you your staff is probably pretty well spread out. I mean, you, uh, I can drive across town in Manhattan, Kansas, in traffic in 12 minutes. So um, you're never too far away from anything here. But you've been doing things a long time with um, Skype. I don't know if you're Zooming at all now, but you've really used these tools that have become regular parts of the industry during COVID. That's um, been part of your practice and you, you've been well positioned, I guess is what I'm saying for everything that's gone on in our industry as of the last four months. Yeah, we've been trying. I think, uh, you know, I do have a small studio. It's like in a storage facility, but just quiet. I can do my right. podcast and stuff in there, and we do live shows in there. But we we have connected remotely with people, like through, you know, platforms like Zoom, um, and, you know, or, you know, we do Skype a lot, so we can get remote people in there. We're doing less in person. I haven't had, usually I have like two people in the studio with me lately. It's just been just me, and we do everything remotely but it has opened up opportunities where and i'm sure you've experienced this as well where you know if you got to talk to a player for a few minutes after practice or a coach or something it's it's different you're getting newsy stuff but it's it's like these short term you're not really getting into a lot of the details about that person and their, their background and all that stuff well now you can and we've been doing these remote like we call them just like lunch with a trojan where you just you know have like a noon time video chat that we would put on you know live on youtube or periscope or whatever and talk with a coach or 
or a journalist that went to USC or anyone, people that have anything to do with it. Um, you know, we could get players, former players, like we had Matt Leinert on like the, one of the first shows and have him talking about whatever is going on with his quarantine and, you know, working for Fox and all that kind of stuff and having like the current coaches, especially the new ones have been beneficial. And you get these longer, more intimate conversations that you wouldn't get if you were just talking to a guy after practice. So it's just sort of like, I don't, I don't really like new normal, but it's just sort of like you have to kind of adjust to what, what you have, uh, you know, at your disposal and you, you gotta, we're content creators. We have to create content, right. you know, so if there's no sports. We still got to figure something out. So it's been interesting. And I think some of the things we will carry over, I'd like to do these one-on-one sit downs on video where people from YouTube could ask questions live. Um, so yeah, I, I think some of the stuff we've done before Fitz has been able to, help us now where we can do these, you know, just kind of make slight adjustments and do things that are definitely more quarantine friendly, I guess you could say. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's what this podcast has been. It was a way to um, get some content, but basically just call up people I've met through my career, whether they're coaches, players, ended up doing a lot of media early on because, you know, it, it was also a mental health break for me just to call people because we need to do that once in a while. So that's, well, we've been doing. I've had a couple of player, former players, on the last couple of weeks, and Dana Demo, former assistant coach, who's now at UTEP um, as the head coach. Those have been my last three, but I'm slowing down right now. I'm down to one a week. You just can't perpetuate. I don't have. I'm not that popular, man. I, yeah. I mean, hell, I had you to call well. you this week. <laughs> I know you're at the bottom <laughs> of the barrel. We we did a couple, which was just. You know, you know what this thing is like. You create content that could take you like an hour or something could take you like 10 hours. And one that was taking like 10 hours was like watching like a YouTube version of an old classic game, right. like a USC game with like four or five of us on the line just kind of commentating about the, you know, some game from a long time ago. And we had like Sean Cody when USC won the Orange Bowl and uh, – 2005 and he was you know he's a defensive tackle for the team so he joined us and that was actually pretty fun you know to get him like he'd get a big sack in the game and he'd just like put his hands up like okay i'm done i'm out of here and that stuff was fun but it was just like a lot of work (laughs) yeah like i don't know if i'm gonna do that anymore like i think people liked it but some things are like that's cool but man it's just taking up a lot of time (laughs) and what i found is that uh our attention spans are so short that that's really cool, you know, to have like – I know CBS was doing it with old tournament games, and then coaches would jump on. I know Bill Self did it, and then Frank Martin did it with a, a K-State game in the Elite Eight beating Xavier. And it was almost like you know, on Twitter, watch party type thing. And that's cool, but when you do it yourself, it's like, oh, this game lasts three hours, and people are like, <laughs> okay, I'm too ADD for this. I'm moving on. You know, it's uh, we're just – I don't know, I but I also refuse to do a podcast that's twenty minutes long. I'm like, well, why? What? I wouldn't want to start that podcast. If it's twenty minutes long, I'm like, I don't want to go through the trouble of starting a new one in twenty minutes. Can you give me some meat on the bone? It's it's an interesting place we're in our market right now, and in, in the it industry. is. And, you know, it's funny. I've not. I've been doing podcasts. I think this is like going to be our thirteenth season doing podcasts, mostly because L.A. radio they won't. They'll talk about the Lakers or Dodgers. Like it's hard to get like USC spring football talk. So I would do maybe one interview uh, every spring for like the local ESPN station. And I was like, this is not enough. Like they're not talking about it. So we started our own podcast, but I've never had someone. I mean, it's very rare. I would get to say if someone said, 
hey man that hour and a half podcast that was too long i'd rather you keep it like it some people's like it, every once in a while but for the most part they're like no it's, run three hours i don't care i want it to be as long as possible so i don't know if you've had the same kind of feedback but it's, it seemed pretty common that people say that yeah you know that is the weirdest of all complaints that something was too long like you know because we're just for example if we're on our regular podcast we're just taking questions from the message board and and three of us are answering the questions and going through all these topics, and it's too long. Well, just stop listening when you get bored. Right? <laughs> so people that enjoy the length shouldn't be able to have the length because you think it's too long. It's just one of those strangest complaints. <laughs> this content is too in-depth for me. Could you make it less in-depth? <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, and, you know, we we've for many years, we'd have a, a – we have a first half, a second half, and what we then began to call the overtime, uh, because people started just asking us comically, you know, funny questions. Uh, you know, the the first one that really started was, if the moon was made of cheese, would you eat it? And and so we started answering these questions, and it just grew into this whole thing. Well, it used to be just the third segment of our regular podcast, and people would go. Well, that third segment is stupid. Well, that's pretty much the premise of the third segment. Is It was originally called the vodka round. So, you, you know, we weren't taking it too seriously before we finally got to the overtime. A little more politically correct, mind you. But we just broke that earlier. It's, I guess it was the start of the school year. We just broke it off into its own Friday podcast. If you don't like the overtime, don't listen to it. It goes up on Fridays and some nonsense to get you to the weekend. I mean, I think a lot of it too, Fitz, is like you know, you have a very unique personality and there's people that love Kansas State football that want to hear the latest injury updates and what's going who's gonna start and things like that. But they also gravitate towards you and your personality. And then if you're talking about Kansas State football, that's great. But if you happen to be talking about, you know, what your favorite vodka drink is, like they want to listen to that. Yeah as well. So I think that's part of it. And there's some people that are going to listen, like I'm always listening to you because of this subject, but you know, part of, you know, reaching your audience, I think is the fact that you can talk about some other things that are going on and people will, you know, they'll gravitate towards that and they'll, they'll enjoy it. For example, right now, uh, although one was found dead, we had two alligators on the loose in Manhattan. See, I would listen to you talk about that. It was a local pet store had rescued two alligators. They can't sell them or anything. They rescued them from people illegally having them. But the male was five feet long. So this wasn't one of those little, like, you know, baby little tiny alligators that's maybe two feet at the most. This was starting to turn into – it could certainly take a pet. And someone stole them and released them in a local creek. We've got a really kind of pretty creek that floods every year. But – they had spotted the male, and they trapped it, and unfortunately it tangled itself and drowned, and the female's still out there. So now we have alligators on the loose in Manhattan, which, you know, after a pandemic, I think alligator attacks is probably a very normal transition for Manhattan, Kansas. <laughs> I, I told someone on Twitter that I think the next step probably is the tornado picking up the alligator and hurling it at my house. So that'd be you uh, know, like the Sharknado, but Sharknado, it, but with gators, right in the middle of Kansas, which has no no sense to it at all. I might write that movie. I, I kind of like that. Yeah, that, I mean, like zombies obviously would be a great one. Like we could finish off the the year strong with like a zombie apocalypse. Right. But you know, 
uh, Sharknado Gator style, I think would work. Too. <laughs> Just fantastic. But anyhow, so that's the kind of stuff we talk about on the overtime. But then, then my second favorite complaint is, well, I don't think he's funny at all. I think Fitz is kind of annoying. Well, okay, <laughs> don't listen. You know, I, I, I've never understood this. Boy, I hate CNN or I hate Fox. Well, how do you know? Because I watch it all the time. I'm like, well, I, just, I, don't, I don't know. I I don't know what to tell you. Um, yeah, there, there's a solution to that. Yeah, there is. Boy, this tooth hurts. Well, quit poking it with your tongue. Yeah, you know, but that's the way we are as as people. I, I wish I remembered when we started our podcast. We just kind of started doing it in the back of our old office down in Aggieville. We were in the heart of the bar district, and we were in an old movie theater. So we were back there in front of the movie screen doing podcasts. And I don't remember when we started, but I, I remember the technology was crappy, and um, it didn't sound great, but we had fun. We had a, you know revolving personalities as staff came and went, but um, we've been doing it 10-plus years. And they've just gotten more professional. and But that's a weird thing about podcasts. Like, I still have a radio feel to mine. You know, there's an open and there's a break. And there's, you because know, I got a little radio background in me. And, and like uh, the 24 7 guys are like, you should do it more podcast style with, without the radio <laughs> stuff. And I'm like, you know, I know, but that's the beauty of a podcast. It can be whatever the hell you want it to be. Yeah. You know, and if it's literally you turning on a microphone and talking into it, which is what a lot of podcasts are, more power to you if that's what you want to do. It's your podcast. Have at it. Yeah, there's, I, I mean, there's some that are very produced, you know, right. and they'll come out and there's like really tight segments. Like if you ever listen to uh, like Freakonomics or something, it's like they make it like 40 minutes or 45 minutes and it's like super tight segments, the breaks and blah, blah, blah. And I, I've just always liked to do it where I'm recording it like it's the radio, but you don't need to take a break every five minutes and you can just talk. And if you're answering questions, you're answering questions. If you're, you know, whatever it is, the topics you can go on and on. And right. if you have a good guest, you can keep talking to them. Right. They have a really long answer. You're like, oh, we got to take a quick break. Like, no, you can just kind of have these long conversations. So I, I do like that aspect of it. And I'm not someone that goes through, I don't know how much. We'll edit our podcast for sound quality, but I'm not going to go through and take out every but um, uh, like I'm not doing that, you know, and some people do. They want to make it as clean as possible, which is fine. But for me, I just like to record it, you know, quick, like sound editing and just stick it up there and right. let people listen to it, you know, like and uh, it's, it's just worked well. But that's yeah, it's like the podcasting format, you know, like what people like to do. And that's that's why I like it, because it's free flowing and um, you really get to know the kind of people that you're the host that you're listening to. Yeah, typically when we're all in the studio together, um, all sitting around, barring someone saying something that needs to be cut, which is usually me, by the way. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it goes straight from recording into into my audition and produce it and it's up. You know, I adjust the audio levels, all that stuff, and it goes up. I don't go through it. This one I tend to go back through because I'm stunned at how many ums and ahs and weird pauses I have, and also now that I'm really listening to people talk, you know how often people will start a sentence like this? It's 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 a thing that I've been doing. You know, it's like holy crap, there was four it's in there, and you didn't even know you did it. But I'm listening to this. I'm like, so do I leave it, or do I do I cut it to two, or just clean it all the way to one? But yeah, I go through all this podcast. So if you say something remarkably stupid, it won't be in there. It won't. Okay, it'll just be gone. Very likely to happen, by the way. I know. And and if I was going to build in breaks, I'd probably put one right here. Huh. 
Hey, it's Fitz. Let's hit the pause button right here and take a little break. What's USC football going to be like this year? That's a really good question because there's the factor of USC fans and, and the media or wherever, just like, you know, Clay Helton, very nice guy, just not a great football coach. And I you know, tend to agree with that, but there's so many advantages of just being USC. Um, you don't have to be the greatest football coach to have success. No. I mean, they were, this is a team that went, you know, 2016, they start off one and three, get smoked by Alabama. They switched to Sam Darnold at quarterback. They go on a run and they end up winning the Rose bowl that year. Like you just can't do that at a lot of places. Like if, if Kansas state started off one and three, no. I mean, I don't know what the expectations are going to be. I mean, even if they turn things around, you're not like winning the Rose Bowl after that. It's just USC has like all these like inherent advantages that they really haven't been taking advantage of. Um, but so a guy like Clay Helton, who maybe not the greatest football coach, but he's in a good spot that has a great roster, probably still the most talented in the Pac-12. Uh, they got a really good schedule where they play Alabama and Notre Dame out of conference, plus their nine conference games. Um, they have a real opportunity to to make some, you know, have some buzz and and win the Pac-12 again. And a lot of the the top quarterbacks from across the, the conference are are gone. You know, like the, you know, the Justin Herberts of the world, like they're no longer there. And uh, you know, you know, seeing uh, Jacob Eason leave, from, you know, from Washington, a lot of the top quarterbacks are gone. And it gives an opportunity for a guy like Keaton Slovis, who was a true freshman last year and like the most efficient freshman in like Pac-12 history. To come in with a you know fun offense that, that Graham Harrell brought from from North Texas, which is more of a Leach Mike Leach kind of thing, and they should be able to do a lot. So, I mean, I'm not going to be shocked if this team wins like 10 or 11 games, but if they go seven and five, I'm really not gonna be shocked either because it's like, oh yeah, they're still, you know, they're still not that well coached. So, um, I just think that they have a bunch of advantages, Fitz, and they. You know, it, the the worst thing for USC fans would be like a nine and three where they beat all the bad teams or the not so great teams and they lose to like Oregon, Alabama and Notre Dame, you know, right. and that just kind of shows like, OK, well, they, they had the talent to hang with those programs, but they couldn't beat them. And they beat all these other teams that, that certainly weren't as good talent wise. So I, I kind of my guess would be like a nine and three season, but uh, I wouldn't be shocked if they got a couple games better or even a couple games worse. One of the things that I don't understand about USC is you know, we see programs now like Clemson that are paying coordinators outrageous amounts of money. And a guy like Brent Venables, I think, has decided he doesn't want to be a head coach. I can make $2 million a year being out of the limelight for the most part and doing my job and not have to deal with media. It seems like USC could pull up to that table and say, you know, we're going to pay our coordinators millions of dollars so that they don't become a head coach at a San Diego state. You know, they, they're yeah. not going to take that pay cut. If they're going to become a head coach, they're going to go jump to another power five program. The kind of instability in that coaching staff, and maybe this now with Harold on the offense and Todd Orlando on the defense and Sean Snyder, his special teams, maybe they'll, it'll kind of settle in a little bit now with, uh, but maybe they'll do well and get rated again after the end of this season. It just seems like that, that's got to stop. And when you're a program like USC, you can stop it. Kansas State can't stop it. They can't pay enough to, to keep a guy like Scotty Hazelton, who was D coordinator and Michigan State paid him more than a million a year to move. So it seems like USC could stop that if they really wanted to. No, I think you're right. I think a lot of that comes from the the poor leadership in the athletic department. I mean, three times in a row, like the last prior to Mike Bone coming over from Cincinnati, the last three athletic directors were all former football players. Uh, Mike Garrett, you know, won the Heisman Trophy. 
Pat Hayden, uh, you know, All-American NFL player. Then Lynn Swan, like, you know, Hall of Famer. Um, those were the guys they picked as their athletic directors. Like, you have to run, like, a $120 million department. Yeah. There's people to hire and fire. And all the USC presidents seem to care about were, like, well, these are, like, you know, featured guys, that, you know, in the USC lore. And they'll raise money. So we'll find people to, like, figure out the athletic department behind them. But we just want to bring in these guys because of their name. And it's really just like a face of the department. And that that takes a toll. You know, you're talking about decades of probably not good leadership where people that don't come from some other athletic department, they know how that was run. So, hey, puppy. It's part of the podcast. <laughs> so I think to me, Fitz, that's really what it was about. And then USC got, you know, Mike Garrett ends up hiring Pete Carroll, like their first choice, but it was, you know, lightning in a bottle. And he, you know, by the second season there, you know, they won the orange bowl and it was just like, boom, um, they just were just good. And he had so much power. And I think the people in the athletic department didn't really like it. They kind of liked doing things their own way. They have these little like systems that they just wanted to take care of. And after Pete Carroll, it was like, if you had an opportunity to hire another person like that, I think they shied away from it. They were going to hire people that were happy to be there. Like Clay Elton never even have a, you know, really being a, a, a real coordinator all that long. He's like becomes a head coach at USC. He's going to be happy to be there. He's going to, whatever the athletic department says, he's going to go along with it. You know, you get a guy like Urban Meyer or, you know, Nick Saban, they're going to be like, here's how it's run, you know? And they weren't hiring people like that. So I think now the new athletic director kind of gets it. I mean, they've brought in a lot better assistant coaches than what Clay Helton was going to do. I think they sort of forced his hand there, but really it's about the hiring to me and hiring people that uh, are strong personalities, alpha guy, you know, alpha people that, they're going to do things. And I, I just think USC shot away from that because they were protecting their own little, you know, kingdoms there. And it just it was, it was a bad move. It amazes me. I don't care what industry you're in. It's our industry, any kind of business or coaching. The people that are afraid to hire strong people under them, like they're threatened oh. by them. Right there, you're destined for failure. If If you're not willing to be challenged by those under you, not be insubordinate, but to maybe not be the smartest guy or gal in the, at, in the room at the time, if you're challenged by that, you're going to have limited success. I don't care what you're doing. And I think the, one of the tough things for an AD to do now is to know that in hiring a really successful coach, you will somehow become sub- subordinate to them at some point because the fans will always side with the coach that's taking you to bowl games and winning big games over an AD. They just will. And it's hard to give that up maybe as as your typical AD. But when you find a guy that says, I'm going to go hire people, I'm going to make sure they understand you've got to play by some rules here, but just go do your thing. And then they go out and hire, you know, Bill Snyder's first coaching staffs had Bob Stoops on it and, you know, Jim Levitt, Mark Mangino, all really strong personalities. You got to be willing to do that. And if you're not, you're not going to win, whether it's business or games. Yeah, you have to. I mean, if you're, you know, you're uh, running your website and you want to hire people that aren't threatening to you. I mean, you you want someone that can like, hey, that guy could be better than me or that girl right. could be better than me. Um, I think that's really important, and you have to be confident enough in your own abilities. Um, if you're hiring a, a you know a rookie head coach, we saw Cal do this at uh, Justin Wilcox. You know, he's 
he was a former defensive coordinator at USC, bounced around. He did some really good things across the country, and Cal ends up taking a chance on him. And he hires two former head coaches to be his his coordinators. You know, Tim DeRuiter uh, came from Texas A&M and was the head coach at Fresno State. And then he hired Bo Baldwin, the offensive coordinator, who was, uh, I believe, Eastern Washington. He was a head coach there. But that shows that, like, hey, you know what? I might flame out my first year and I have two head coaches on my staff that could replace me, but I want those guys there. And I I think that's the important what, you know, that's, that's, it shows like that's a a young coach that has the right attitude. And if you, if they, they work out well, now you got, you know, experienced head coaches working for you. And I think that's, you know, helps your own resume. So yeah, you're right. I think that's something that, you know, watch what people do when they hire people like, oh, that, you know, that really wasn't that risky of a hire, not risky, but just someone that is established. Um, and they're trying to protect themselves as opposed to like, I want to get the best people in the best spot to make this program go forward. Because you hire the best coordinators and you do a really good job and you win a bunch of games, that's going to reflect well on you as opposed to hiring like non-threatening people. Uh, then you're struggling to win games and that's, that's also going to reflect on you. Yeah, I, I don't understand the philosophy at all, and I see it repeated over and over. I just hire good people, and then I figure out what the hell we're going to do. You know, I mean, <laughs> I, 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 like I replaced a really good writer with uh, more of a multimedia guy. Uh, so we're going to kind of roll over into more podcast video stuff with, with the new Ryan. And, you know, it's, it's cool. He's turned out to be a better writer than I expected with covering basketball recruiting. But just go hire good people. Let them do their thing. You know, it's kind of one of those things, if you're going to go hire a coordinator, let them do their thing. And if their thing doesn't work with what you want to do, don't hire them. But let them just do their thing. Don't tell them, okay, you've been really good with a 3-4, and it's really cool, but I want to run a 4-3. Go do that. Then why <laughs> would you hire him? You know, just don't do that. Just let them do their, their thing. But that's the other part is when head coaches get into the micromanaging too much. And, uh, man, you just got to hire people and give them guidance and let them go. Yeah, I think we saw that with uh, Ed Orgeron at LSU. Um, yeah. You know, he, he's had he's had to grow a lot as a head coach, you know, from Ole Miss to USC and, and LSU. And you make some mistakes in hiring people and maybe you don't, oh, man, I didn't do that right. But, you know, he fixed them and brought in the right people. And, you you again, something magical happens and that's where you end up. So, yeah, I think it's it's more about, being able, you know, some, it's a challenge. It's a it's a skill to be able to identify really good talent. You know, there's some people that are great at hiring, some people that aren't, and maybe because they have different, um, you know, really goals underneath everything in, your, in the back of your mind, you're worried about other things besides getting the job done well. And I think that's where you have a problem. And you know, maybe you start off as a coach that, that you know wasn't really willing to hire the best people. And then you kind of realize like, you know what, it's just better to hire the best people yeah. and, and figure it out from there. So <laughs> I agree with you, man, man. He fascinates me. How this guy kept getting head coaching jobs and it's hard to explain why he just seemed to be in the right place at the right time with LSU. And by God, it was a brilliant hire. It's he it, it was everything that was kind of odd duck about him, which there's a lot. Uh, in in the other places is perfect for LSU and look what happened. Look what happened. It's just yeah. Gun went out, got good people, put them around him, and he has brought everyone on board to his team. It's incredible that it, how it happened. But let alone he got that third chance to do it at a Power Five program. That's remarkable. One of the first, like when we first uh, were allowed to start interviewing coaches because like you know early days of the internet. 
mm-hmm. um, and we were running our sites. You know, it was a struggle to get in with uh, the sports information people, basically the media relations people. They would be, you know, hey, you're a radio guy. Newspaper people were, you know, ran everything. So they, that's where everything was. The bread was buttered with the newspaper guys. And now there's way more Internet people covering the teams than newspaper guys. But um, back then it wasn't the case. And they started to let us gradually do some interviews. And Ed Orgeron, Ed Orgeron was one of the first uh, coaches we got to interview. And I remember one time, I think I would did a fairly long one with them and like the recording device didn't work something stupid and he's like that's okay right and he just did we just did it again and he didn't care and he's just always been great to deal with and I, I remember running into him I think it was like a 2009 senior bowl like he had got fired from Old Miss and uh, we were walking around and I see him and I like introduce myself and he's like you know I hadn't seen him for a few years he's like I remember you Ryan and uh, you know blah blah he just why he's a good recruiter like he doesn't forget a face he remembers everybody he knows your story and he makes you feel good when you talk to him and i remember deshaun jackson's family walked by um and deshaun jackson ended up going to cal like was committed to usc uh you know still in the nfl right now and his family just gushed over at orgeron just was like Kojo. And, and, and like he didn't even go to usc but they still loved him and so that's i think when he could harness that, like the the wonderful parts of his personality, the stuff that makes him an amazing recruiter and a great coach, if he can, you know, mold that into being the CEO and being the head coach, you knew he would be successful. And I don't know if Ed Orgeron is going to be able to win uh, another national championship. I mean, it takes it takes a lot of luck to do something like that too. But the fact that he was able to build on the great parts of his personality and turn that into uh, what's been really an effective uh, head coach is great. I know USC fans, most of everyone I talk to in the USC world is very happy for Ed Ordron. So am I. So he's a, yeah. he's a great dude and uh, you know, wish him uh, continued success. He, at least he's made it a little more interesting in the SEC. It wasn't just Alabama rolling everybody oh, this time. I know. And I feel like the gap's closing in you know, other parts of the SEC too. And what's scary for the rest of the country is I don't think it's Alabama coming back to the pack that significantly i think everyone's just getting so much better i mean they've all bragged about being better than everyone i think it's really true now i think the sec is getting outrageously good uh in football and the recruiting is just beginning to pile up and you know lucky for you or fortunately for you you're in covering one of the programs that can has the tools to battle that you know maybe texas oklahoma notre dame ohio state michigan uh, USC, there's only a few. And, you know, even a program like Penn State, I wonder if they have enough to get over the hump uh, to really battle those kind of programs. But it's it's getting obnoxious how good some of these SEC programs are. It is. And I think, uh, I mean, the SEC does it, I mean, really smart, like the way they handle it. Like you could be, like the you mentioned Penn State, like James Franklin, what, what nine games or something a couple of times yeah. in the SEC? Um, which is crazy, uh, you know, you think about that, but, you know, they were in a, a weaker division. You only play eight conference games. Um, so, you know, you can be a team in the SEC and go two and six in conference and still end up with a winning record and win your bowl game, you know, mm-hmm. and that's, you can't do that in other, in other leagues where you're playing, you know, that extra conference game, which I think is a real disadvantage, but they, they, you know, I'm not gonna say they game the system, but they, you know, like a little bit do. 
but the recruiting is just off the hook. Um, you know, you've got fertile recruiting grounds, and now you're seeing, especially when a team like USC that normally recruits Southern California really well, starting to fall off uh, on the recruiting side, you saw the Alabamas and the Clemsons and uh, Texases like come in and, and steal some of those players away from Southern California. And uh, I think that's something USC has to combat. But they do have the talent base in their backyard. They have the tradition. Like they can do that. You know, to to win a title, you got to have some five stars on your roster, most likely. Mm-hmm. And USC, like you said, there's one of the few programs that can can do that. They just need the right coach and uh, you know the right support around them. And I think they can they could make a run at something like that. But they just haven't done it. Uh, they haven't done it for a while. But they have those advantages. I think you know it's a have and have nots kind of. Um, sport for us right now, and it's limited with the halves. But the SEC, I think, has propped up some of the other programs that maybe were on the borderline, and now they're you know in that discussion too. Um, but you know, like the Georgias of the world and the LSU's of the world, they you know they, they got a lot of tradition also. But they can recruit that well. Uh, they get good coaches, and uh, they you know they put a really good product on the field. And if they can win the SEC, they can certainly win a national yeah. title, just like we saw LSU do. You know, and having that extra non-conference game, particularly where they park it, which just annoys the hell out of me, that in November you're playing, or late October you're playing, you know, a FCS program. Just It's just awful, I think, for college football. But it's not about the guaranteed win for me. It's about here late in the season when injuries pile up, we get to take a break. I mean, we'll, we'll play a fairly competitive game. Everyone's like, ooh, they had a close game with whatever program. Well, it's because they kind of cleared the bench and played some other guys. And now with the new four games and not, you know, before you burn your redshirt rule, you can play a lot of young guys and get experience that makes them more game ready for the next year. It kind of perpetuates itself. They, they get their players rested. They get some healed up. They get experience for the younger guys they're going to call upon after 12 guys declare early for the NFL draft. And <laughs> and they're, they're set up for the next season. It just seems like everything is in their favor at times. But it annoys the hell out of me that they're never taking uh, – they're never held accountable for eight conference games and that they built in an extra victory. It's yeah. just like it's a given. Oh, it's okay. It's the SEC. It's like the NFL in college, you're playing football, but it's just so different. And I think the uniformity in the NFL, I mean, where you obviously have the draft, so it's not like the Cowboys can just take all the best players every year. It's it's That stuff's evened out. But just even the schedules uh, are evened out. When you have college football, you know, there's this wide variety of how teams schedule, it's really hard to compare. And we don't get you know, there's not a 16-game schedule. There's a 12-game schedule. And, uh, you know, the, the national championship winning team is going to play 15 games. And the, the teams LSU beat, I mean, there's no question. By the end of the year, they beat everybody good, you know. <laughs> so they, their schedule was you know, it was not easy. Um, but you, it's really hard to compare just trying to figure out which teams should even belong in the playoffs. And until we have some at least uniformity in the number of conference games, I think that's going to be a really difficult thing to right. continue to do but in the meantime like i would say if i'm running the pac-12 i would say all right well we're gonna go eight games like we're not gonna do this nine game thing that's silly like we're just that's an extra or whatever half loss or something a season for every one of our programs and we've we haven't made the college football playoff for the last three years like if you want to make the playoff I, you know having like the nine game conference schedule just seems like it's an extra burden you know because because you also have the the conference championship game but it, you know until we get uniformity i mean it's going to help you know, Clemson, the ACC, it's going to help 
the SEC, and I think the other conferences are sort of like, you know, they're the ones that are going to be missing the playoff every other year or whatever it is. And it doesn't help when USC goes to schedules Notre Dame and Alabama in the same year. That seems a tad aggressive, just a bit <laughs> aggressive. Yeah, I mean, I think for for me, and one of the issues that when I mentioned before, like the previous athletic directors making just bad decisions, when they scheduled that FCS school, UC Davis, they changed their policy too, where they wanted seven home games a year, which would mean because they play Notre Dame every year and in the Pac-12, you have five away, four home, uh, four home, five away every other year. And then they plug in Notre Dame. So it's always five and five. If you wanted seven home games, that meant outside of your, your conference schedule in Notre Dame, you had to schedule two home games. You couldn't do a home and home with like Texas. They did a few years ago. And that's what people like. I mean, I, we had a, a, a little get together in Austin for the USC Texas game. I think it was 2017 or 2018. And, and we had like 250 people show up. Like all the, the fans, they want to go to those road games against teams you don't see very often. And they love it. You know, they love going to Chicago and go to the Notre Dame game. And I think sometimes that will trump like, well, the schedule's too hard. Um, I, I think you like that. Like that's the part of the pageantry of college football. At least the USC fans do, and they they love you know scheduling those games. And you know they don't want to get their asses whooped by Alabama, but they like going and checking out AT Stadium and and playing a traditional power. So I get it. But there's, I, I think it would be easier to schedule like Notre Dame and Alabama if you only had four you know conference road games a year instead of having that fifth one every other year. So I, I think that's part of the, the big issue. There. And, and I bet you those longtime Trojan fans are still talking about that 2002 visit to Manhattan, Kansas. That's probably way up there in their memory uh, when K-State actually swept a series with USC. One of the things I can't explain in K-State football history, but it, it led to good things for K-State. It's still remarkable it happened. That was great. And that's, it's funny. Like that was catching. And I remember like Bill Snyder being like, you know, why the heck did we schedule? I know he was, <laughs> but, that was just, <laughs> but it worked out. I mean, it worked out great. You get two big wins and you, and you beat USC as they were starting right. that Pete Carroll run, you know, like they, like if you played them like a year or two after that, it you know might've been different, but like that was, that was great. I mean, I think that was uh, you caught them at the, the the right time. Had some great wins, and then you you talk about that for years. If you're a Kansas State fan, you're like, hey, USC came to, you know came to Manhattan and and we beat their ass. And it was like, yeah. I know it's just something that fans that's you know they're not probably not going to talk about beating uh, you know for, for some whatever some directional school that you never heard of. Uh, but they'll still, I'm sure the case, Kansas State fans will still talk about those games. Absolutely. I, it, there was just a discussion on Twitter about the loudest moment in the stadium's history, and uh, that little stadium gets really loud. I've been a lot of places, but it's amazing what that 50,000 seats buried down in the ground can cultivate in terms of level of sound. And for me, it was that game because Terrence Newman – scooped up a blocked stick, blocked extra point in that game and returned it for two points the length of the field with kind of a winding, meandering return. Uh, and the stadium was absolutely vibrating. And I remember, I think it was TBS had the had the game, I believe. They had an end zone camera mounted up. And the, the camera, the whole stand was vibrating when the guy was <laughs> shooting. You could see that everything shaking because it was so loud. But, uh, yeah, people still talk about that play. I can't remember who blocked it, but Terrence picked it up and, and – 
showed that Terrence Newman was a pretty good athlete, which he proved in the NFL for many years. Too. Yeah, he played for a long time, right? What's the long-term uh, forecast for the Pac-12 as a conference? That's another good one. I, um, I think with Larry Scott, the commissioner, um, you know, coming from like the tennis channel and like being the highest paid commissioner in the country where they're, you know, the lowest performing league, you know, his days have to be numbered. Uh, they, he had a lot of support from the Pac-12 presidents early on. I think there's only three presidents left that, you know, elected him in or, you know, brought him in. Um, his contract should be up in 2022 and they got their TV deal is 2024. So I think they really need to go in another direction there. The PAC 12 network has been a disaster. Um, they have seven networks and, uh, like different for everyone. They don't, you know, direct TV. Uh, and I know like the traditional, you know, cable outlets and, and providers are, are definitely going in the wrong direction. But for years, I mean, direct TV, that it was the biggest base was in Southern California and you have USC and UCLA and you make a pack, a deal with the PAC 12 network. You can't even get, you know, the PAC 12 network on direct TV. Like that should have been a non-starter from the beginning. Right. Uh, like the things like that, you can't, you, you can't avoid those. I mean, those are very avoidable problems. Like you can't let something like that happen where I consider my, you know, I'm here in LA and I can watch the SEC network and the big Ten network very easily. And I cannot watch the PAC 12 network very easily. That's a problem. And mm-hmm. to try to create yourself and make yourself a media company, to me, he was just biting off more than he could chew. So they got to get that fixed. Um, I think, you know, is it football problems? What, you know, we him causing a lot of problems on the football side. There's been some, but for the most part, you know, USC has to kind of drive that train too. And USC has been incompetent for the last 10 years, mostly. So uh, I, that's, you know, exasperated the problem. Uh, so I think USC has to kind of fix their stuff. They got a new AD. They're hopeful to do that. I think the Pac-12 needs a new commissioner that can kind of restructure the Pac-12 network. Maybe just have one. Like, is it great that you can watch you know, every like gymnastic event or like, you know, women's water polo? Like, okay, but that's not going to drive the needle. You need the football stuff. You need the basketball stuff. And spreading it out over seven networks just isn't, you know, you, they're getting like zero ratings for all these things. There's sure. just no point. Um, to do that. So I think the PAC 12 can, can work. I mean, they're pretty isolated as far as like, you know, being out in the West coast, they have a, a pretty much a state to themselves that has, you know, some of the most fertile recruiting grounds in California. So the PAC 12, you know, California can feed the entire West coast, but I, I think you need good leadership and they haven't had it at USC and they haven't had it in the PAC 12. And they're hopefully changing around at USC, and then we'll see if they do in the Pac-12. If they do, I think the Pac-12 will be all right. If not, then I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'd love to see some kind of super conferences or some kind of, uh, like, Premier League thing where, you, you know, you just have, like, I don't know. I'd, something like that would be kind of neat. But right now, the Pac-12 is just, you know, they're struggling. Yeah. And uh, they're just trying to keep up, and it's just not been working very well. And their, their TV money is so much further behind everyone else. And they still have four more years of that, Fitz. <laughs> it's yeah. not like the, the next year they get a new TV deal. It's like four more years. So um, it's it's going to be uh, – every year it's going to get a little bit worse until somehow they make it better, I think, with better leadership. That's crazy. It's crazy. Do you think in, I don't know how many years, 30 years from now, Larry Scott will be sitting in a high-end retirement community on his fourth gin and tonic and 
retell the tale of how he almost had Texas to join the Pac-12. And, and all his buddies would be like, Larry, you told us that last week, too. You say it every damn week. I mean, he's got to be sitting there thinking, I had him. I had him. And then I didn't have him. And you just wonder how different the world of college athletics would be if Texas had made the jump. Yeah, I mean, I, I you definitely wonder about that. I think he came in trying to do some of the right things, but in the end, he was more about, you know, it's got to be like all for one and one for all for him. Like he wants Oregon State and USC to be on the exact same level. And no. we asked him at one of the conference, um, you know, one of the like media day things, uh, would you rather have parity or would you rather have, you know, teams in the playoff and he said parody hmm. and then he had to back that off i think a year later he came back and like he said i regret saying that and blah 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 but that's his mindset you know and if texas wanted to have their own network and you could get them in you're like let them have their own freaking network right. <laughs> like you got you get then he wasn't going to do that and so i think you know at the end of the day you bring in utah and colorado it's fine but it's not you know no. texas and oklahoma or whatever right. so um yeah I, I think that you know a lot of that's on him. I think mean, he's tried to do the right things, but then since then it's just not been uh it's not been very good. A lot he's just made so many bad decisions. It's just like it's it's hard to recover from some of that. Yeah, you know, when the Pac twelve stole Colorado from the Big Twelve, everyone in the conference is like, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, they don't really care about sports. We're gonna miss visiting because Colorado's beautiful to go to, but if you really want them, you're gonna find out they don't bring much to the table, and they don't really bring much to the table. In fact, I think Utah was the better addition, ironically. I think they're a little more impassioned about college sports than the hey dude environment of Boulder, Colorado. I don't know. Yeah, for sure. I mean there's there's some tr- tradition there, but uh and it's a great place to visit. Yeah, but they haven't. You know, they they won the South once, uh, but Utah's won it the last couple of years, and um, just crazy. You know, they're, they're, they're I I think they've changed. They're, they're trying to. Um, I think Rick George is a really good athletic director. I think uh, you know Mel Tucker was a, a good hire, and then you know Michigan State ends up way overpaying for him after one five and seven season. But that's, I mean, I think that shows that you made a good. They made yeah. a good hire there, but it's it's going to be tough to kind of maintain that and keep it going because man, it's a. Uh, I don't think it's an easy place to to win games, you know, but we'll see. Well, let's close this podcast up with my formal invite, because I hold a lot of power in these things, for USC to join the Big 12. Uh, You can have your own damn network. We let Texas do it. Why not you too? And if you want to bring Arizona and Arizona State along, we'll we'll tell West Virginia, uh, thanks for the good times, but we're back to 12. (laughs) Hey, I'm I'm it. Like if, if I'm the like czar of West Coast college football, or I'm, you know, if I'm the athletic director at USC, and I had him on Mike Bone on uh, our podcast, and he talked about like, hey, everything's on the table, and it sort of made some news because could they you go independent and like sign a deal with NBC and be like Notre Dame and, and USC on on NBC instead of just Notre Dame. Um, and USC's got to get their crap, you know, act together first to, to make sure like they you know, that'd be viable. But um, they could do something like that, or they could join the Big Twelve and like USC and UCLA, like leave the Pac-12 and and join the Big Twelve. And uh, I, I, I mean, anything you, you got to look out for yourself. And right. Tradition's great, but if the Pac-12 is going to keep falling further and further behind, and you're millions and millions of dollars, um, you know, it prevents you from keeping a coach you want to keep. Like Graham Harrell is like to say, you know, he keeps doing well and, you know, 
and, and a program in you know, like Purdue can take them away, you know, or Rutgers or somebody because they make sixty million dollars a year and USC makes thirty. Um, you know, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So no. I think you have to look out for what's best. Uh, and I think it would be, you know, that'd be awesome, you know, to have like the Texas and, and California, you know, be in the same conference, uh, all that recruiting grounds and stuff. I think it would be really interesting. So, yeah, I'm, I'm on board with uh, USC. If you, if you come out of that pitch, USC would have to listen. I have to tell them, like, you guys got to listen to this because this could make some sense. Well, step one of that uh, is the Big 12 being competent and aggressive. So I think it's a DOA plan right there. I don't think it's going to be <laughs> We're just going to wait around and see who wants to steal more teams from us. So that's kind of the mindset. <laughs> Buddy, it's been great, man. This was awesome. This is awesome. Go, uh, go. No, I really appreciate it. Yeah, I was honored to uh, come on because, like, you've, you've always done it so well. You would always win the social media awards for what you're doing things. And, um, you know, a lot of people do like the sports side of things, and you would always make sure that there was the personal side of stuff, too. So that's why when you did the the life of fits, you know, podcast. I'm like, Oh, that's a great idea. I like that. Cause that's, you know, that's you and you gotta, yeah. you gotta do you. So, um, I was, it was really, Thanks, I was man. very happy when you asked me to, to join it and come on. Yeah. You're, you, uh, are the second publisher from the network. Chip Brown was the first. So it's not that I value chip more than you, but he was just in my conference. He's in your conference. He's yeah. Really yeah chip's, a, chip's a stud, man. Yeah, He's on he sports center and stuff breaking news. Yeah, so. Whatever. Aren't we all <laughs> <laughs> thanks buddy. Talk to you later, man. All right. Take care, Fitz. Thank you. Ryan is the go-to guy when talking USC football. In a really large market, when people are looking for a media member to speak about the Trojans, it's often Ryan Abraham. And he's one heck of a guy. That does it for another edition of Life of Fitz, but we're not done until I remind all men over 45 to make sure you go to the doctor to get your PSA scored. It's a simple blood test that aids in the early detection of prostate cancer. Trust me, it's really important. Take care, everyone. I'll talk to you real soon.